chapter nine of sons of fire by mary elizabeth braddon this librivox recording is in the public domain so grew my own small life complete after the incident of that september night there was no longer the shadow of doubt in allan's mind as to the relations between his father and the lady of discombe manor that they had known each other and loved each other in their youth he was now fully convinced this last strange act of mrs warnock's was to his mind the strongest link in the chain of evidence whatever the relations between them had been guilty or innocent and fondly as he loved his father he feared there had been guilt in that association it was his duty to prevent any meeting between them lest the mere sight of that pale spiritual face with its singular youthfulness of expression should reawaken in his father's breast some faint ghost of the passion that had lived and died a quarter of a century ago nor did his respect for his honest-minded trustful-hearted mother permit him to tolerate the idea of friendly intercourse between her and this mysterious rival from the shadowland of vanished years he took care therefore to discourage any idea of visiting the manor and he carefully avoided any further talk of mrs warnock lest his father's closer questioning should bring about the disclosure of her identity his father's manner when the lady was first discussed had shown him very clearly that the description of her gifts and fancies coincided with the memory of some one known in the past but it had been also clear that neither the name of warnock nor the lady's position at discombe had any association for mr carew if he had known and loved her in the past he had known and loved her before she married old geoffrey warnock his anxiety upon his father's account was speedily set at rest for mr carew after exploring his son's small and strictly popular library where among rows of handsomely bound standard works there were practically no books which appealed to the scholar's taste soon wearied of unstudious ease and announced a stern necessity for going to london where a certain defunct hebrew scholar's library lay and ecclesiastical was to be sold at hodgson's he would put up for a few days at the old-fashioned hotel which he had used since he was an undergraduate potter about among the bookshops look up some references he wanted in the museum reading-room and meet his wife at liverpool street on her way home lady emily absorbed in her son and her son's love affair agreed most amiably to this arrangement telegraph your day and hour for returning when you have bought all the books you want she said i'm afraid you spend more money on those dreadful old books which nobody in suffolk cares a straw about than i do on my farm which people come to see from far and wide and a great nuisance your admirers are emily i'm very glad the suffolk people are no book lovers and i hope you will never hint to anybody that my books are worth seeing i could not say anything so untrue your shelves are full of horrors now allen's library here is really delightful blackwood's magazine from the beginning macaulay scott dickens thackeray bulwer lever marriott and all of them so handsomely bound i think my brother showed excellent taste in literature 
though i doubt if he ever read much but as you seem happier in your library than anywhere else i suppose one must forgive you for spending a fortune on books that don't interest anybody else and one can't help being a little bit proud of your scholarship and so they kissed and parted with the unimpassioned kiss of marriage which has never meant more than affectionate friendship lady emily stood at the hall door while her husband drove off to the station and then turned gaily to her son and said now alan i am yours to command let me see as much as possible of that sweet young thing you are in love with shall we go and call on her this afternoon she has a white cat which may some day provide her with kittens to distribute among her friends and if so i am to have one to bring up by hand as i did snowdrop you remember snowdrop alan kissed his mother before he answered but not for snowdrop's sake i have a vague recollection of something white and fluffy hanging to the skirt of your gown that i used to tread upon yes you were horrid you very nearly killed him shall we go please 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 mother dearest i am ready this instant three o'clock we shall get there at half-past and if we loiter looking at white kittens or the mother of potential kittens till half-past four she will give us tea and we can make an afternoon of it hadn't i better put on a bonnet alan no no you will go in your hat just as you are you will treat her without the slightest ceremony treat her as your daughter do you know mother i am uncommonly glad you never honoured me with a sister why alan because if i marry suzette she will be your only daughter there will be no one to be jealous of her in suffolk or here what a foolish fancy well give me a daughter as soon as you like i am getting old alan and your father's secluded habits leave me very often alone his books are more his companions than i am ah but you know how he loves you mother interrupted alan they were on their way to the gate by this time lady emily in her travelling hat and loose tan gloves just as she had been going about the gardens and meadows in the morning alan twirling his stick in very gladness of heart they were going to her if she were out they would go and find her at her aunt's at the vicarage on the links yonder anywhere but at discombe he hoped she had not gone to discombe yes he is fond of me i believe in his own way there never was a better husband lady emily answered thoughtfully but i know ellen i know what mother i know that i was not his first love that i was only a pis that there is something wanting in his life and always must be till the end i should brood over it all perhaps alan and end by making myself very unhappy if it were not for my farm but all those living creatures occupy my mind one living fox terry is worth a whole picture gallery suzette was at home the aftermath had been cut in the meadow in front of marsh house a somewhat swampy piece of ground at some seasons but tolerably dry just now after a hot summer suzette and bessie edgefield were tossing the scented grass in the afternoon sunshine and fancying themselves useful haymakers they threw down their hay forks at the approach of visitors and there was no more work done that day they all sat in the garden talking or wandered about among the flowers in a casual way and while bessie and lady emily were looking at the contents of the only greenhouse alan found himself alone with suzette in a long gravel walk on the other side of the lawn-like meadow along all the length of which there was a broad border filled with old-fashioned perennials that had been growing and spreading and multiplying themselves for half a century 
a row of old medlar and hazel trees sheltered this border from the north wind and hid the boundary fence dear old garden cried ellen how much nicer an old garden is than a new one i hope you don't mean to disparage your garden at beechhurst our gardener is always complaining of the old age of all things here everything is worn out the trees the shrubs the frames the greenhouse one ought to begin again from the very beginning he says he would be charmed with beechhurst where all things are so neat and trim cockney trimness i'm afraid but if you are satisfied with it if you think it not altogether a bad garden i think it a delightful garden said suzette blushing at that word satisfied which implied so much i am glad of that said ellen with a deep sigh of content as if some solemn question had been settled and you like my mother very much indeed but how you skip from the garden to lady emily and you approve of the mandarin room it is one of the handsomest rooms i ever saw then take them suzette he cried eagerly with his arm round her waist drawing the slim figure to his breast holding and dominating her by force of will and strength of arm smiling down at her with adoring eyes have them dearest mother garden room they are all your own for they belong to your very slave they are at your feet as i am do you call this being at my feet she asked setting herself suddenly free with a joyous laugh you have a very impertinent way of offering your gifts not impertinent only desperate i remembered my repulse of the other day and i swore to myself that i would hold you in my arms once at least if only once even if you were to banish me into outer darkness the next moment and i have done it and i am glad but you won't banish me will you suzette you must needs know how i love you how long and patiently i have loved you long patiently why we only met at midsummer ah consider the age that every day on which i did not see you has seemed to me and the time would hardly come within your powers of computation suzette be merciful say you love me were it ever so little were it only a love like a grain of mustard seed i know it would grow into a wide and spreading tree by and by and all the days of my life would be happy under its shelter you would think me curiously inconsistent if i owned to loving you after what i said the other day faltered suzette looking down at the flowers i should think you adorable she was only serious for a moment and then her natural gaiety prevailed do you know that my aunt lectured me severely when i confessed to having refused your flattering offer did she really how utterly sweet of her after that you cannot refuse me again your aunt would shut you up and feed you upon bread and water as fathers and mothers used to do with rebellious daughters in the eighteenth century i hardly think she would treat me quite so ferociously for saying no but i think she would be pleased if i were to say yes and that means yes my love my own he cried in a rapture so swift and sudden that he had clasped her to his breast and snatched the kiss of betrothal before she could check his impulsiveness you are my very own he said and i am the happiest man in england yes the happiest did i say in england what a contemptible notion i cannot conceive the idea that anywhere upon this earth there beats a human heart so full of gladness as mine suzette 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 he repeated tenderly with a kiss for each comma what a whirlwind you are she remonstrated and what a rag you were making of my frock oh alan how you have hurried me into this and even now i am not quite sure you are sure that i adore you 
what more need my wife be sure of oh my darling i have seen wedlock where no love is only affection and trustfulness and kindly feeling all the domestic virtues with love left out dearest such a union is like a picture to the colour-blind like music to the stone-deaf like a landscape without sunlight there is nothing in this world like love and nothing can make up for love when love is wanting and nothing can make up for love when love is wanting repeated suzette suddenly serious oh alan what if i am not sure if i doubt my own feelings but you can't doubt my dearest i am reading the signs and tokens of love in those eloquent eyes in those sensitive lips while you are talking of doubt there is no one else is there suzette he asked with quick earnestness no one in the past whose image comes between you and me no one no one in all your indian experiences no one then i am more than satisfied and now let us go and tell my mother she has been waiting for a daughter ever since i was born and behold at last i am giving her one the sweetest her heart could desire suzette submitted and walked by his side in silence while he went in search of lady emily whom he finally discovered in the poultry-yard with bessie edgefield allan's elated air and suzette's blushes were a sufficient indication of what had happened and when mother and son had clasped hands and looked at each other there was no need of words lady emily took the girl to her heart and kissed her i hope your father will be pleased suzette i don't think he will be sorry and i know mrs mornington will be glad allan has her consent in advance auntie is a very silly woman said suzette laughingly and then she had to endure bessie edgefield's congratulations which were of the boisterous kind of course you will let me be bridesmaid she said with that vulgar practical view of things which wounds the sensitiveness of the newly betrothed almost as much as an estimate from a furniture dealer or a circular from an insurance office End of chapter nine